the pursuit of Jesus, hope, hope, and giving everything to God is the most thrilling life on the planet. Good morning. I want to talk to you this morning. I, I told Pastor David, uh, I didn't, I don't think we even planned for me to be here, but I felt during the week that uh, I felt a burden for you guys. And I, I just, so I just asked for David. He graciously allowed me to wedge my way into the uh, prayer summit this weekend and, and so just share with you just for a few minutes on something that I feel is, uh, that's birthing and happening right here at New Life among us. Um, let, let me just be honest with you for a minute that I, I, in, my, in my past, I have a pastored a 100-year-old denominational church in West Texas. I, have, I helped start a church in Dallas-Fort Worth, so I've been a church planter. I have been a, uh, I've taken over denominational churches out in the middle of nowhere, small towns. Then I came to an existing church. So I've had three very different experiences as senior pastor. I've been in uh, both large churches, churches that were growing, and churches that were in transition. So I have all these experiences, and I've, I feel like that I'm just now beginning to figure out a couple of things, and so I want to share with one of those things with you this morning. The trap that we all have as uh, leaders and pastors, whether you're in a small church of 100 or whether you're in a big church of 10,000, it doesn't matter. We all have the ability to fall into a very dangerous trap, and let me tell you about this dangerous trap. The trap is that our preaching and our teaching begins to uh, look more like marketing than Jesus, and, and I, I, uh, we fall into the same, we have the same temptations here at New Life to we, we wonder, uh, our teaching and our preaching tends to fall into those dangerous places. And I want to speak to you this morning about preaching to make disciples just for a few minutes. And again, this is stuff that's, uh, that's brewing in us as I speak. I mean, just literally in the last few months, I just sat down and asked the Lord, Lord, why am I speaking on the topics that I'm speaking on? What am I accomplishing with preaching and teaching? Now, I know not all of you are preachers and teaching. Maybe you have different roles at your church. Maybe you have different roles in your youth ministry. But I want to talk about this topic today because I think it takes a team, it takes a family for this to happen. So this doesn't just fall on those of you that are preaching on Sunday. In fact, I study with a group of people that, that share the responsibility with me for what I say on Sunday. Now, I take ultimate responsibility for it. I take all the blame and most of the credit, you know, for what happens on Sunday. But I study, you know, Pastor David, Pastor Brandon, uh, some other guys that we study together on Tuesday morning. I, I have another group of people I study with on Wednesday morning. And we study together because I think it's the best preaching happens through a family conversation. And so it requires all of the family to be at the table for that kind of preaching to happen. But I think our primary goal if we're preaching is not to draw crowds. Our primary goal for preaching and teaching is to make disciples. If we want to solve the violence issue in our country, we need to make disciples. If you want to keep kids from choking themselves to death or swallowing teaspoons of cinnamon, we got to make disciples. If we want to hold the family unit together, we got to make disciples. If we want to help people with their broken sexuality, we have to make disciples. When Jesus looked at his followers, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, Jesus looked at his followers and says, all authority has been given to me. And he looked at his followers, the men and women who would go out and change the world, and he says, listen, don't go out and start ministries and name them after yourselves. He said, go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember this, wherever you go, I am with you always. But what was the commission? Go make disciples. And listen, our preaching and our teaching are important. And I want to bring back into this room today 
a high regard of a sacred call back to preaching and teaching. This is not about entertaining. It's not about slick performance. It's about preaching unashamedly the Holy Scriptures to a hungry people. Amen? So I'm here today to call you back to this sacred call of preaching and teaching. And I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, when I came to New Life Church five and a half years ago, this scripture is what the Lord used to tell me to come to New Life. I don't know if I've ever even shared this publicly. I remember where I was in my car. I was at an intersection in Dallas-Fort Worth. I was driving home from the church where I was pastoring. I was pastoring at Gateway Church in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I had two options in front of me. Go plant a church in North Dallas or come to New Life Church and be the senior pastor. That was the, I had those two options. And I was wrestling with it because, listen, the line to take over New Life Church was not very long. There was a short list of people that wanted to do this. And, but I'd been asked, you know. I'd been, and it, but the elders of the church where I was pastoring had said, Brady, you can go plant a church in North Dallas or you can go to New Life. Either way, God's blessing is on you. Go do either one. That, that was what they told me. And this scripture, the Lord spoke to me at this scripture. That's why I'm at New Life Church. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. Now here's the, I'm wrestling, remember, about planting a church or coming to a church and watering it. Those are the two, coming to an existing church and watering it are going to plant a church. So this is what I'm wrestling with, right? This scripture is what that day exploded into my mind. He says, each one, Brady, if you go plant a church, I'm going to reward you. You go to a church and bring water to it, I'm going to reward you. But here's what I'm going to get to. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Please listen to me. God needs us. God needs us to preach. God needs us to teach. God needs us to explain. And most importantly, God needs us to live it out in front of the people that we're pastoring. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself as an expert? Because you are. Listen, God didn't call you. I'm not saying that you have fully matured. I'm not saying you have it all figured out. But God did not make a mistake by placing you where you're placed. God needs you as an expert builder in the place that God has established you. You are where you are, not by accident, but by design. And you're an expert builder, whether you believe that about yourself or not. And by the way, I know, uh, I know the insecurities that come with preaching and teaching. My least favorite time of the week is Sunday afternoon. I mean, we all beat ourselves up, right? We all, we, none of us... We either fall into one or two continuums, I believe. You either think you're really something special, which you're probably not, or you just beat yourself up every time you preach, and there's really no space in between. Can I get an amen this morning? That's exactly right. He says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one, listen, this is a scripture, each one should be careful how we are building. Let me ask you a question. What are you building? 
into the lives of the people you're pastoring? What are you building into the hearts of people? This is the question that began to really stir in me just a few months ago, and I really begin to ask some hard questions about why am I preaching what I'm preaching? What am I trying to accomplish as I stand before my congregation? What I say is important. And by the way, in the day that we have today with technology, with podcasting, with live streaming, with all of the capabilities that we have, our preaching and our teaching is not just for the moment. Our preaching and our teaching literally can last decades and, and, and generations now. Everything we say is recorded. Everything we say is broadcast. Whether you're in a small church or a big church, our words are weighty and important. And then look at verse 11. This is the important part. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to start this morning. So I want to I talk to you this morning just for a few more minutes about the five topics that I'm going to spend the rest of my life preaching about. The, the five things that I'm going to preach about the rest of my life. And they're in order of importance. And I want to challenge you this morning. I'm going to use some, I know it's a, kind of a, a, a bit of a, I don't know, a risk to use five, these five big words this early in the morning. But I've had plenty of coffee. Hopefully you have too. <laughs> but there are five big topics. If you're, if you're serious about building disciples and not just gathering crowds... If you're serious about giving people the meat of word and really building something that's sustainable and lasting in people's hearts, these are the five topics that I want to share with you today. Have you ever, uh, has anyone ever seen the documentary on McDonald's called Supersize Me? Have you ever seen that? All right, if you're serious about preaching, I want you to watch the documentary. I know this may seem a little odd and strange, but Supersize Me is about a guy that only ate McDonald's for 30 days. Every, all of his meals were McDonald's for 30 days. And he gained like 40 pounds or something like that. He gained like this unbelievable, he began to feel sick. He began to, for 30 days, he ate McDonald's. So buy, buy the documentary. You need, to, you need to watch it. But first of all, it'll keep you out of the fast food drive through lane probably more than you, than you are. You know, and by the way, I, I know this about all of us. If our driver's side window ever broke here at New Life, we'd probably all starve to death. I get that, all right? So, <laughs> but see, this is what we're teaching the people that we preach to. If you continually feed your congregation, your youth, supersized meals, if you feed them fast food, they're going to die. It's going to kill them. I'm asking you this morning, this is what I feel like the Lord said to me, one sentence. Tell them it's serious business what they're saying. Tell them to preach like it's serious business. And I don't mind being funny and entertaining. I think all that's necessary. I understand that. Understand your role as youth pastors is not an easy role. I understand that. Understand what the expectation is. I'm just saying, take this more seriously than you may be taking it. Let me give you these five things, and I think these are in order of importance. Here's the first thing that we've got to start preaching on is Christology. We have to tell people about the person of Jesus. Listen, I know this is going to sound like Captain Obvious this morning, but listen to me very carefully. You cannot preach about Jesus too much. You'll be, you would be shocked and surprised how little people really know about the teachings, the person, and the nature of the resurrected Christ. They may know historical data about him, that he was born of a Virgin Mary, that he died on the cross, that he came out of the grave. They may know all of those things, and those are important things. But the teachings, the nature, the character of Jesus is poorly misunderstood because it's being poorly lived by our followers. 
We're not making disciples because we're not telling them about Jesus. Christology is where we all start. And I love, and in fact, I love John, John's songs this morning because he, he, he gets this. John gets this. There's no, it's not by accident that we sang a lot about Jesus this morning. Have you noticed how often Jesus' name, the character of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus came out of John's songs this morning? You know why? Because John gets this as a songwriter. You cannot sing about Jesus or teach about Jesus too much. And I, I, John Wimber is one of my favorite. He's an old school charismatic. You know, you, would you agree with him? And I, I really enjoy John Wimber's teachings and writings, his passion at least. And early in his life uh, as a pastor, he took over this church and, was, and, and, and really began to stir it up. I mean, he really, his teachings were revolutionary when he began. And this, this old-time, long-time member of his church came to him one day and said, Pastor John, man, you're talking about some radical stuff. How radical are we going to become? And John Wimber looked at him and said, we're only going to be as radical as the Beatitudes. The guy goes, oh, good, that's good then. Whew. I thought we were going to get really radical. You ever read the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's radical. Crazy radical teachings. And most people read that and they've tamed Jesus down into a bumper sticker. And they know, they know very little about the radical teachings in nature of the resurrected Christ. Jesus is no bumper sticker. Jesus is the Christ, risen Lord, who wants to rule and reign over all of our lives. That's how radical Jesus is. And we have to start, if you're going to preach, do not ignore the radical nature and character of Jesus. Get Christology deep inside of you so that every time you preach, every time you talk, Christ comes out. Jesus comes out. Here's what Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says. Colossians 1 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn over all creation. Listen to what Paul, Paul is writing this letter to a fledgling church, a church that's struggling to find their identity. He says, listen, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You cannot know God unless you first know Jesus. And he says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Were the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's how big a deal Jesus is to all of us. And Paul caught it. Paul said, listen, I can't tell you, I can't give you slick answers to all your questions, but what I can tell you about is this person of Jesus. I can tell you about Jesus. Here's the second thing. If you get your Christology right, it leads to good theology. And this is where theology breaks down. That the, the understanding, our discovery of who God is has to start with Jesus. But we have to teach sound theology. And listen, I know this is going to be a bit... Maybe a bit misunderstood, but I'm, I, I, we are in this journey here. And I don't, I, check back with me next year, and I'll let you know how this journey is happening, because we're in the middle of this right now, of discovering what it means to return back to some of the sacred foundations of our, of, of our faith 
while remaining true to the prophetic, charismatic calling that God has on our lives. We, we're, we're absolutely unashamedly filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean we have to forsake the sacred, ancient roots of our faith. And, and, and I believe that, uh, that most of people can't even quote the Apostles' Creed, much less live it out and de- defend it and describe it. But theology is important. Ask, ask uh, just take your, your top ten youth leaders, all right, the top ten students that help you do what you do. Take them out to coffee one day and ask them, what are the absolutes of your faith? What, are the, what, are, what do you believe in that you're willing to die for? What is it about your faith that's sacred and holy and sustainable in your life? What are the absolutes? What, what have our early church fathers said are the absolutes of our faith? And you'll find that we have, we have broken theology because they don't know. Because we've gotten away from these sacred ancient roots that have held the church together. And the reason I'm asking you what would you be willing to die for is because people died to write this. That's what they died for. They wouldn't denounce that Jesus was born of a virgin. They wouldn't say say that Christ had really went to the place of the dead and died the death of a human being and then came out of the grave. And they died for those faith. They died for those beliefs. Theology is important. Theology is critical to building disciples. So it starts with Christology and leads to theology. And then, then this, what, this is what happens. The third thing is we have to teach pneumatology. We have, to, we have to teach our students how to welcome in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We have to teach students about the work and the nature of the third person of the Trinity. We cannot ignore the Holy Spirit for the sake of anything else. The Holy Spirit, and notice the Trinity here, Jesus the Son, God the Father, the third person, the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology is critical. We must teach people how the Holy Spirit works, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, how to listen to the voice of God through the help of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus would have never thought about sending out his disciples into a very dangerous world without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's what, here's, here's what alarms me. We're telling people to do dangerous things without dangerous equipment. You're sending students into a world where they're dying without the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot send your students away without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus never, ever would have considered that. Jesus said, listen, you better wait. Wait, wait, wait on the work of the Holy Spirit because what I'm sending you to do is dangerous and risky and mysterious. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Your students can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You can't lead them without the Holy Spirit. We have to teach this and live it and experience it. Listen, this is why we, we choose to linger. We, we got a schedule today. We have a schedule, very loosely, right? But here's, here's the bottom line. I want you guys today to hear God, to know God, to have your eyes open, ears open, heart open, mind open to what the Holy Spirit's saying, doing, breathing all around us. Good Christology leads to sound theology, which allows us to teach good pneumatology. But here's the fourth thing, and here's the thing that we hardly ever teach about that's broken in our preaching, is sound ecclesiology. You know why students are leaving the local church after they turn 18? Somewhere between 40 and 70%? They don't believe in the local church. They don't don't think it's important. 
You know why they don't think it's important? Because no one's teaching them why it's important. Ecclesiology is simply living as a covenant people within a covenant community. We don't understand covenant. You know why they don't understand covenants? Because they don't, their parents are not living in covenant with one another. Friendships are easy to find and easy to lose. I can defriend you on Facebook or I can friend you on Facebook. Friendships are cheap and easy. Sex is cheap and easy. Marriage is cheap and easy. So church is cheap and easy. Listen, it's not, it, it, you can't do what God's called you to do outside of the, of the covenant family known as the congregation of the local church. You cannot accomplish what you're called to accomplish without the help of a family. That family is the church living together in a covenant community as a covenant people. I, I tell people all the time, church is not, we treat, we treat church like it's a, a cheap gym membership down the street. We got these two brand new competing gyms, you know, like Lifetime Fitness and what's the other one? The, yeah, Villa. We got these two competing gyms like right next to one another. And every time I drive by, I think this is the way people treat church. Who's giving me the best deal? Who's, you know, this is the way we treat church. What are you going to do for me? So we, we, we treat church like a business, so we're, and then we're shocked that we produce consumers. I'm not here to, I'm not here to create consumers. I am here to make disciples and listen to this is a I, I forget who said it David could tell me who said this but bigger the, the bigger the crowd the less the truth and I'm telling you I've made up my mind as the pastor of a big church I'm going to speak truth because I've got to make disciples if I do not make disciples in the local church we're going to lose but you have to have the local church L- listen if first of all you need to love the local church you can't you can't impart what's not in your heart right you can only give away what you possess. And maybe you're here today and you're frustrated with the church that you're a part of. I, I can assume that's probably true for about half of the people sitting in the room. I sat where you sat. I know the frustrations. I know how broken the bride is. But cynics of the bride will not get to participate in the healing of the bride. I'm not a cynic. I'm a healer. I'm, I'm in a messy church. New life, when you come to these things, you see the best of new life. This is the best we can be right now. Right in front of you. This is about as best as we can behave in front of you. And we, and we got about three days of good behavior in us just for, for you being here, right? But as soon as you drive off in your, your van and get on your plane and go back to your church, it's going to get very real here at New Life. And, that's, and this, by the way, that's one of the temptations of bringing you to a conference. As you think this is the way it is all the time among us. It's not. We're messy. We, we have some brokenness. Google it. You'll find our brokenness, all right? So you think this is Disney around here. You're, you're in the wrong church. We're, we're big, messy, broken family trying to get it right, though. But we love one another sincerely. We're committed to being in unity, and we're committed to doing this together. That's sound ecclesiology, the gathering of the called out ones is all that means. We are the gathering of the called out ones. Young and old, rich and poor, skinny and fat, we're all in this room together trying to figure it out. And I just went into the fact category. I know that. I realize that. <laughs> but we have to teach why the local church is important, right, which leads us to number five, okay, to sound missiology. I just sat with a dad who has three college-age sons, and he was brokenhearted. He said, Brady, I've, and it, it, the way the conversation started out, it was like he was going to be very proud. He, goes, he says, Pastor Brady, my three sons, they are so passionate about ending slavery. They're so passionate about the poor. 
I just don't ever hear him talking about the church, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or God. And listen, this is almost inverted right now in our culture. In our church culture, this is an inverted order. All your kids are fired up about the poor, and they're fired up about ending slavery. You just can't do it without the first four things in place. You can't do it. It's, it's not sustainable. Listen, I, I'm passionate. We, we're building dream centers as fast as I can raise the money. I've got apartment complexes for homeless single moms that I'm going to open this year. We have a medical clinic that we just doubled our capacity to take care of the poorest women in our city. I'm passionate about ending poverty in our city, taking care of the widows, the orphans, and the poor. I just can't do it without sound discipleship. I can't do it without Jesus. I can't do it without understanding God. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And I can't do it without the local church. I can't do it. And I'm telling you, you're... Number five is the easiest thing right now to motivate your kids with. If you talk about the poor, they're fired up. You want to raise money for an orphanage in Haiti? They'll, they'll, give, they'll sell their iPhone to help you build an orphanage in Haiti right now. I like that. I love that. Let's just get the order of things correct, though. Let's, let's, set, let's set a right foundation so that when mission comes, when missiology, when the opportunity to take care of the poor happens, we can do it in a sustainable way that we can pass the baton. And, and by the way... You don't want the poor taken care of without Jesus, the Holy Spirit, without God in the local church. You can't take care of the poor without the local church. You can't take care of the poor without the Holy Spirit. These are the five things I'm going to preach on for the rest of my life. Because I am committed to making disciples. I've, now you, can, you can argue about the order of this and or, or argue about the language of this. And maybe next year I might have a different language system, but this is what's happening among me. It's what's happening inside of me. It's what's happening among us, David, and all of us who communicate, teach, and preach. We're, these are the conversations we're having in private, and this is the things that we're saying in public to our congregation. Because we're, we're listen, we're at a dangerous time in our, in our, in our, um, in history right now. You know that. We, Christianity, in your generation, will become the minority working the margins of our culture. You better learn how to work as a minority working the margins. That's what you're about. In the next 20 years, that's what we're going to become. We're going to be the minority working the margins of our culture. We're not the dominant voice anymore in our country. And whether or not we'll ever become the dominant voice, I don't know. But I know this, that in, in all of history, there's never been a prosperous superpower that's ever allowed Christianity to remain its primary voice. Ever. There's never been... Listen very closely to me, okay? This is very prophetic, what I'm saying to you. In the history of the world, there's never been a prosperous military superpower that's allowed Christianity to stay as its central influence, ever. Ever. Check out Rome right now. Check out Greece. Go back to Greece right now. Go to Western Europe right now. And guess who the next superpower that followed the British Empire was? We're it. We're the next superpower. You can follow the, all the history of military superpowers that had a prosperous economy. It started with Rome. It went to Greece. It came to Europe. It came to America. And all three of the cases before us, if you're a, a student of history, you understand Christianity becomes the minority working the margins. That's what America's becoming. Now, what does that mean for us? We better get busy making disciples. Let's get busy raising up Christ followers. Or we've lost this is why it's so serious to me. I have a 14-year-old and 12-year-old. I just dropped her off at school before I came here with you. And we drove by a little memorial place where a 15-year-old classmate of hers killed himself by that, choke, that silly choking game that's going around. 
He died a few days ago, and there's a memorial site. I dropped her, I dropped her off in front of it today. And I'm thinking, we've got to, I've got to make disciples. We're the minority, work on the margins. And let's, let's get serious. This is serious business, what I'm calling you to today. Your preaching, your teaching is saving lives. Your preaching, your teaching, your songs, your worship, your leadership is critical. And I want to call you back to it today. Can I pray for you this morning? I want all of you that, that you preach and you teach, I want you to stand right now, okay? I mean, if, or if you want to preach and teach, would you stand right now? Because I'm going to pray over you right now, a new anointing, a new, this thing that's stirring in me right now. I'm, I mean, it's stirring in me privately. It's stirring in me. I, I, this is serious what I'm doing. I take this serious this morning. I, I took it seriously what I said to you this morning. And I'm praying today that there's something new and fresh would begin to birth in you. That maybe, if nothing else, you'll leave here today with one thing echoing in your mind. What I'm doing is important. What I'm doing is serious. Can I pray over you this morning for that? Thank <laughs> you.